there's there's always that person, right? I think of uh, Roman in the great outdoors, Uncle Roman, right? Is, is we all have an Uncle Roman in our family whose primary motivation is to sell. Who really wants to, to buy anything from that guy versus someone whose primary motivation is to leave you better than they found you? We just happen to know that because of what we do for a living, the way that that gets measured and gauged is what did you choose to buy from me? Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you on this fine Monday morning or whenever you're listening to this podcast. And we have a great show for you today. We are inviting on coaching and training extraordinaire TJ Hartnett to the show today. We're going to be talking about not being satisfied with where you are. It's going to be a great episode. And of course, like we do every single week, we're going to spend a little bit of time breaking down that idea for you ourselves. And for that, we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. Complacency is the last hurdle standing between any team and its potential greatness. Pat Riley. Hold on. But wait, there's more. Oh, a I like bonus. this one too. So I was, yeah, a I bonus was, quote. I was struggling on which one I was going to end with, or sorry, begin with, but I'll end with this one. He who is content with what has been done is an obstacle in the path of progress. Helen Keller. Okay. All right. I like them. I like them both. And uh, that is more of what we're going to be talking about today in terms of contentment. Now, contentment, it's one of those things that is, uh, you know, it, it can be a good thing, right? But in terms of pursuing your career and pursuing the embetterment of yourself, I think that's what we're focused on. We don't want to be content. I do like that, you know, Pat Riley calls complacent person a hurdle. Helen Keller calls the calls the content or complacent person an obstacle. Like you're a problem if you're content. You are in the way. And if you're in leadership, yikes, you're not in the way of yourself. You're in the way of your whole team. Mm. Right. Uh, but, you know, assuming we're talking to mostly technicians, at very least your own way, probably in your customer's way, very likely in a family's way, your family. Being content, complacent. If you're listening to the Waste No Day podcast, let's face it, you're trying to get better. It is what it is, right? Like, you can't really shame someone at the gym. I don't care what they look like. You don't know what they look like a year ago. and You, you haven't don't know, seen me. You don't know, I would make fun of you. But you don't know what they'll <laughs> look like a year from now. So they're getting it in. You know, you, you leave that person alone if they're at the gym. And... If you're listening to the Waste No Day podcast, you're at the mental gym, uh, killing complacency. That's right, Brian, and that's absolutely what we're trying to do here. Each and every week, you have the opportunity to work out your muscles. And uh, in, in this case, you know, it's, it's your work muscles, your leadership muscles, your uh, maybe even your husband muscles or, you know, your spouse muscles, whatever it is. You're trying to get better. 
And we try to bring you content every single week that gives you, uh, let's put it this way, the machine to do the workout on. But nobody can force you to do the working out itself, right? That's always a self-only activity. We'll give you the materials. We'll give you the exercise routines. We'll give you the, the machine to do it on, but you have to put in the work yourself and nobody's going to force you to do it beyond that. And that really comes from self-motivation, right? So it's not just being aware that you are content or complacent or satisfied with where you are. It's being dissatisfied with that place and wanting to go somewhere else and having the motivation, having the, the accountability, having the determination to not get bumped off of that track or put back into the corner or put up on the shelf, but to keep pursuing what is out there, the betterment of you, the betterment of who you can be and who you know you could be. And that is so much of what we're talking about today with TJ. You ever, <clears throat> I don't think there's anybody listening who hasn't heard of the boiling frog syndrome, right? That's a pretty age old uh, adage, as they say. I'll cover it anyway for, for the, uh, youngins in the house who may have not heard this the the boiling frog syndrome is just it started i think it was like uh like classroom science experiment type stuff you would take a live frog and if you just had really hot water sitting in a pot you drop that frog in the water that frog hops out super fast like it's not hanging out in there obviously but if you set a frog in water and so like a, a teacher or a scientist or what have you would set the frog in the pot of water. The pot would be at room temperature. He would slowly start heating it, turning the knob on the flame up, making the water hotter. You'd watch the temp go up 10 degrees at a time. Nothing. The frog just sits there chilling. Up, up, up. All of a sudden, the water's boiling and the frog dies. These incremental tiny little changes to its environment did not affect it in a negative way enough to make it hop out of that horrible environment that was killing it quickly. And usually that's used as a metaphor for like minding your environment and watching what's around you. But I, I also always looked at that one as complacency, like the temperature going up on that stove is it can very well be complacency, contentment. So you have, you have maybe the house of your dreams or a nice house, whatever. You have, you know, a nice vehicle, maybe a spare motorcycle, four-wheeler, whatever it is you're into. You got the, the woman of your dreams, just the, the proper amount of kids that you were looking for. 2.4. Nate's halfway there because he's at four. <laughs> uh, and, you know, everything in life is going pretty well. Maybe you stumbled upon this podcast and are planning on not listening again so hopefully we caught you just in time but you're everything's going pretty well so you're like you're feeling the need to go into cruise control or even you know throttle down and and turn the thrusters off you know which leads me to another metaphor which i'll oh is this the airplane the airplane analogy i like this one that i covered in uh, training last week but you don't notice the incremental complacency changes happening, which is maybe, you know, you've, you've put on five to 10 pounds here recently. Walking up and down the stairs is a little 
worse than it used to be. You're not quite as sharp as you once were. Speaking very much from experience here in all of these things. Maybe you're not the dad you used to be. Maybe you stopped reading to the kids at night or whatever things you do. No need to get personal, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to me that time, buddy. Um, but whatever it is, you're a less effective husband or wife than you were six months ago, a year ago, six years ago. Slowly but surely, the temperature is going up. And it's going up by way of complacency. And you don't know what effect it's going to be having on your life or what, you're, what signs you're missing that something's going awry because you're not paying attention to it. And killing that complacency, saying that as of today, I'm going to be a better fill-in-the-blank husband, wife, father, friend, uh, selling technician, technician. Whatever it is, I think fill out the, you know, make yourself a bullet point list. Here's all the things that define my roles in life, not who I am, but what I do in life. And write a sentence under each one. This is what a more perfect version of me would look like. This is what he or she would do and look like. And start taking little baby steps to get there. Just to avoid the boiling point of complacency where one of those things gets severely missed, and poof, it's gone. You get replaced at work by someone who's hungry. God forbid, somewhere else in life. So, as we were talking in training last week, we talk often about Brian Tracy's analogy of, in the beginning of your career, you're, you're a plane on the runway, and you're trying to get off that runway. And most people never realize that being at cruising speed, like what you would be at cruising altitude, is not where your plane needs to be to get off that runway. You need to pull that throttle back and give it some real juice to get off the runway and up to cruising altitude. Then you can push that throttle forward a bit and and relax some. Um, And we talk about that often. We've talked about that on this show before. But what we don't really talk about is is going even too far the other way. And too far the other way would look like complacency, contentment, where I'm pushing that throttle all the way forward, right? I'm turning the engines to the plane off. So what's going to happen to that plane? Nate, pretend our audience can't talk. What's going to happen to that plane, buddy? Uh, well, it's going to take a uh, slow but sure trajectory down. Yeah, the engine shut off. You're coasting for a minute. And then suddenly you're you're southbound <laughs> in a hurry. That's right. <clears throat> you're heading back for ground. And you know, maybe you get you catch it before you hit the ground, before you're replaced, before you're demoted, before, you know, spouse starts looking elsewhere or just gets, you know, bitterness before the kids get into some trouble or something, before you're just left behind technically with all the new advancements that are constantly happening in whatever trade you're in. And right before you hit the ground, you crank that throttle back up. And now you got to get back to cruising altitude. How much, how efficient is the, is the uh, throttle being all the way back to get you back to cruising altitude? Would you say, is it the same efficiency as it would have been if you just stayed at cruising speed? No. 
Are you using less gas or more, less fuel or more fuel to get back up to cruising altitude? Pain, painfully more. Painfully way, way more. more. And it's no different in, in life and our own energy. Like if you're, you know, you don't have to be at, at takeoff speed once you're at cruising altitude. You never have to really work that hard again. And you should now be devoting much more time to other things in your life. But you can never just stop and get complacent because your career will start going south. So, you know, you're heading back down toward the ground. <clears throat> and then if you catch it in time, again, the efficiency goes way down. You're burning way more energy and fuel to get back up there when all you really needed to do is stay at cruising speed and keep the plane at cruising altitude. Keep learning. Keep getting better. Don't settle for who you are now, despite what your mom told you. You're not good enough. You're just not. Maybe you are, but you can be better, and you want to be better. So what we want to talk about with TJ today is not assuming that you're good enough where you are, you know? Not stopping, like, I'm, I'm real cool here. And the people we interview on this show largely are – are some of the most successful people in our industry in one way or the other, you know. It was C- CEOs of some of the biggest companies in, in this, in the, in the uh, industries, um, some of the most high-producing technicians in the industry, and every one of them tells the story of where they got complacent and realized that they had a lot more to give and push themselves forward. So that's what we're going to talk about with TJ Hartnett today. Yeah, I love that analogy, Brian. And I was just reflecting upon Newton's first law of motion, which is, uh, you know, very well known, but it says, you know, basically that an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And I tell you what, you know, if you feel like you're at rest right now, like if you do some serious self-examination, you say, you know, I, I'm, I've taken my foot off the gas and I'm at a stopping point. Just beware, it's going to take some time and energy to get started. But once you get started, you can get into that cruising speed where it's just so much easier to keep going. And that's something that I think is as true in, in life as it is in leadership, as it is in your career. I mean, we've all had those experiences of just winning, like you're winning and then you're winning and you're winning again and again and again, and it feels great and it's awesome. And each one seems to keep coming easier and easier. That's, that's the, the uh, practical application of an object in motion tends to stay in motion. You know, when you're studying and learning and when you're picking up pieces of, of the podcast and applying them, life is good. And every time that you do it, it gets easier and easier and you climb higher and higher uh, through your career and into the air. And it's fantastic. But then what happens? We end up getting complacent. We end up getting a little, a little content, a little uh, satisfied. We've climbed high enough. And, you know, the air is thinner up here, so we don't have to work as hard. And, and we let off the gas, and we pull back on the throttle, and we start falling back to earth. And the more that you do that, if you don't catch yourself, it gets harder and harder to restart and regain that altitude. And when you, if you allow yourself to come to a complete stop, you have to invest so much energy to reinvigorate the fires of, of you know, purpose and change in your life uh, that that sometimes can become overwhelming. And unfortunately, some people get stuck in that place of like, it's too much work. You know, I'm too old. I'm too far in my career to do this and blah, blah, blah. That's bull crap. We don't believe in that here. We believe that there's, you have never arrived. 
you have never come to a place of, of completion. You're always pursuing something better. And I love the, the airplane analogy that you drew there, Brian. I think it's so appropriate uh, for what we're going to be talking about with TJ and also for really like just an, an internal look into your own life, my own life. You know, where am I at today? Am I on the runway trying to get off? Am I on the, on the, on the tarmac like parked and not even at the helm, not even sitting at the throttle? Or am I somewhere in the air right now trying to figure out if I'm cruising or going up or falling back to earth? Now's a good time to take an evaluation, see where you're at, and if things are going the wrong direction, to make those corrections. And it always is time to make a correction, right? Maybe not correct course, but but uh, improve. Time to make an improvement. Let's get a little more efficient. Let's make the, the plane a little bit more aerodynamic. Let's figure out how we can put two more seats in the plane. In some way, shape, or form, we can be more efficient, more profitable, better servants. Um, just there's always something that can be improved. So TJ, what did he say? He said he could like he could be out training like thirty weeks a year or something like that. Are you serious? Thirty That's crazy thirty weeks a year. Oh my goodness gracious. And I was talking about like in uh when was that? November? October, November. We were at Vertical Track. We met him in uh at, at Tommy Mello's event in Arizona. And then what was it, a week later or something like that, we were in uh Orlando at the Authority Brands convention. And at that convention, at the at Vertical Track, we didn't really have any work to do. You know, we were just we were guests and got to hang out and enjoy the speakers and get some good, um, some good strategies for coming back here and building the business and met some really cool people. A lot of which we've had on the podcast, got to reconnect with a lot of people, but it was like, it was pretty chill other than the traveling. And then at, uh, the authority brands convention, like a week later, we had, uh, three hours each day or three hours, two days, so six total hours where we did podcast recording. Other than that, it was pretty, you know, pretty laid back. We just got to do some learning. We didn't have any speaking to do. Um, but even so, like when we got done with that, with that two weeks and the traveling, I was like beat. I was like <laughs> just spent. <laughs> like I'm just laying in the bed in my bed with my toddlers. Like this, the Saturday, Sunday, we got back. Like, I'm not moving today. We're just going to watch some Disney movies and, like, chill. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, like, this dude's traveling. Just 30 weeks a year or something. As many as 30 weeks a year. It's crazy. It's like 30 times a year. It's ridiculous. Right. It doesn't really matter. No. It's preposterous. And, like, grinding and grinding and grinding. And then he's got his flywheel group. You know, he's in there posting all the time, Um, you know, tips and strategies and like motivating and inspiring stuff. And then he's, you know, jumping on the phone at a hotel to call in and do podcasts like this one. And he's just, he's out grinding and he's, uh, he's one of those guys who's the picture of, of, I'm going to butcher this. So maybe you can edit it later. Non-complacency. That'd be a word. I think. Sure. Yeah. So, picture of just not being complacent and out grinding but I mean he loves what he does you know and that helps a lot when you're like 
um, actually helping people. When people are hitting you up and jumping in your group to say like how much more profitable their business is because of you, how much happier their techs are, that kind of thing. That goes a long way for your energy. It's filling your fuel tank back up. But still, it's a grind. It is a grind, and we are excited to get to that conversation in just a moment. Uh, but before that, we're going to turn to our review of the week. Great content. Incredible resource for the trades. Brian and that other guy do an amazing job. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in the trades, you must listen to this podcast. Finally, content for electricians and all trades people alike. Daryl Boyd. Oh, Daryl. What's yeah, up, Five buddy? stars. What's up? Hey, I've been called worse. That's fine. <laughs> he, he said your name. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Daryl, uh, who we had some nice uh, seafood with. Yes. On that Orlando trip. Absolutely. So Daryl is the vice president of the second biggest Mr. Sparky in the franchises. And Daryl has his whole team listening to the show every week. Um, they they listen to it. They have multiple uh, satellite locations, so they all I believe they all stream it together. Like they listen to it together, so that's pretty cool. Nice, appreciate that, Daryl and team. Thank you so much. Yeah, so we appreciate the review for sure. The, the both the awesome, encouraging words, the fact that you get your team to listen is awesome. Um, if you get anything out of this episode or any of our episodes, if you like it, please go to Apple, hit us with a five-star review, tell us what you like about it. If you put your name on there, we will read it on the air at some point. Uh, if you have Spotify, you can hit us with the five-star review on Spotify. They now have just the ability to hit stars. There's no, you can't write us a cool note, but you can send me a text message. I'm going to start reading those on air. We get a lot more of those than <laughs> reviews. <laughs> Well, it's going to be a great conversation today, Brian. We're really, uh, we are really looking forward to it. And right now, we're going to put TJ Hartnett in your passenger seat. TJ Hartnett is a professional business coach and trainer for the home services trades, as well as a public speaker. He lives in southeastern Pennsylvania, right in our backyard, with his best friend and wife, Missy, and his five children. He's been in the HVAC trade since October of 1994. Uh, it was about Brian's 40th birthday. And has been an installer, technician, sales professional, manager, and business owner. He works hard to serve all of his clients at the highest level possible through education and collaboration. And it is his goal to provide the best trainings in the industry in both content and enjoyment. It's his core belief that if we serve others to the highest level, our own goals are achieved as a byproduct. And he wants to win together, which is a big philosophy we agree with here. Welcome to the show, TJ. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be here. Great to great to talk to you, buddy. I know you're. Uh, you might be the first guest we've ever had on here that is that lives in the state we're in, Pennsylvania. Uh, that isn't that doesn't actually work here. So that's yeah. cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, while we're recording this episode, because we we yanked you in by the collar. Uh, with very little time to prepare. Um, you're in Boston training right now, and we're an hour and a half from where you live. So we're not doing it in person, unfortunately, but I definitely want to pencil you in for an in-person episode. 
yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd, I'd love to stop by and say hey. Well, TJ, uh, we would sure love to know a little bit more about you. And uh, some of our audience may have may be familiar with you and what you're doing right now, but I'm sure there's quite a few who are not. So why don't you kind of give us the tour through your career and what got you into the industry and what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, man, I started in the career uh, way back in 1994. So it's kind of funny because, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't think of myself as, as one of the older guys, but uh, when I do on sites and things now, I start out with, with asking, like, who wasn't born in 1994? <laughs> so and I usually get, you know, a, a significant number of hands. Um, but uh, October 4th of 94 was day one for me um, as an oil burner of finance in the Northeast. And there's a, uh, a company there that's been in business for, I guess at this point, probably somewhat close to, to 130, 140 years. Um, called uh, Clyde S. Walton and Landsdale. And, uh, and that was where I started. That was, that was the first place I worked. Um, I was a 17-year-old apprentice. I was still in school. And uh, it all came about because when I was about 15 years old, my dad says to me, he says, uh, hey, it's time for you to start thinking about, you know, what you might want to do for work. You know, you can't, like, deliver papers your whole life, right? Because I was already a paper boy. I was already, like, the the fountain worker at the local friendlies, things like that. Um, but dad really wanted me to have a trade and, and, I, and I wanted to be a school teacher. And, uh, so I said, all right, well, dad, I'll just be a mechanic like you. My father was an auto mechanic. And without skipping a beat, my dad was a great guy, but without skipping a beat, he looked at me and he said, well, I'll break both of your arms and then I'll rip them off and beat you with them if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'm not being an auto mechanic. <laughs> um, and, uh, so he said, big something else. Well, our next door neighbor, uh, worked for this oil company and, you know, 15, 16 year old kid. All I look at is he's got a nice house. He drives nice vehicles. He goes on nice vacations. Uh, I was like, well, let me, let me go see what that's about. And, uh, so I went into to Walton and they said, Hey, you know, I've got a job. Um, his brother was the service manager and he's like, well, why should I hire you? And I was like, well, I don't know anything, but I was like, I'll work harder than anybody else here. And he says, all right, you're hired. And that's how I started. Um, so from 1994 to 2015, I was on the trade side. I was super, super fortunate to get to do pretty much anything you can imagine from, you know, being a technician, uh, starting out as an oil burner apprentice, uh, being able to do install, do sales, do management, started my own company, sold my company, um, grew and, and, and operated to, uh, two larger Nextar organizations in the, in the region, um, and was a part of their leadership teams. And then in 2015, just, I got bit by the training bug. There's not any, really another way to say it. I started to get exposed to training, um, being able to go to, to some people that were, part of it, our peer group and what have you and uh and help them out and i was like man this is this is what's up this is this this is filling my cup big time uh and so in 2015 i just made the decision to, to move over and i moved over initially in the indoor air quality realm so um i did that and then as i was on the indoor air quality side doing training what i realized was nobody really wants business advice from the dude selling the filters so, um, in 2017, I made the leap 
to, to full-time business coaching and training. And that's where I've been ever since. Oh, fantastic. And as of right now, you yeah. are the entrepreneur behind Flywheel Coaching Group, which offers multiple monthly uh, training packages and offsites and things like that. Is that right? On-sites. That's on-sites. correct. Well, off-sites for him. On-sites. So, yeah. TJ, is your, <laughs> is, is your pop still around? Everything good there? So, no. Uh, I lost my father in uh, January of 2021. Uh, we, we, he made it through COVID. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, lost the battle with Parkinson's and uh, diabetes, type 1 diabetes. Um, which was, you know, Honestly, for me, probably still to this day, one of the most impactful experiences in my life. Just my dad was my best man at my wedding. Um, and I'm adopted. Uh, my dad was my stepdad. He wasn't actually my biological father. Um, so he raised me from the time I was two. And uh, and uh, when I was 16, he adopted me. And uh, yeah, I mean, just. I, I refer to him as my Superman to this day. Um, and I'm not like a real, I don't know. Uh, like I've got a tattoo on my arm. If you look at it, it's a, it's a 1967 Chevy Impala. It's a car my dad had when I was younger. And so I got it done after I lost him uh, in remembrance of him. But eventually this, my whole right arm will be done. And, and really it's the right arm on purpose because, you know, he, he was like my right-hand man or I was his, however you want to look at it. And uh, I wouldn't be a tenth of the human being that I am uh, if it wasn't for him. And, and, and I try every day to really do right by people and take care of people. Um, but if I'm half of, of the man that he was uh, by the time my days are done here, uh, then I, I got something done. That's hey. very nice, TJ. Yeah, uh, and sorry, sorry you lost him uh, there in 2021. Let me let me ask one question though: Did you yep. get to at some point sit down with pops, thank him for everything, look him in the eye, and say, "I became a teacher after all"? <laughs> <laughs> so I did not rub in the teacher thing by any stretch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he. he my dad and I, you know, made peace with things I think, like the, the good side and the downside of, of, of having somebody battle through Parkinson's if you've ever watched it is um, it doesn't happen today, right? It's a, it's a long, slow, drawn-out thing, which is absolutely um, agonizing from, from a standpoint of, you know, watching somebody that's larger than life than me. Like, my dad was a strong, strong human being. Um, and, and, you know, we did a lot of outdoors things together. We hunted, we fished, we, we, we were involved in dirt track auto racing for a lot of years together with my two stepbrothers. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of who I am that is a hundred percent attributable to the fact that, you know, God saw fit to give me him as my dad. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, we a hundred percent, he, when, 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 when the time came that he left this place, um, you know, and, and, and I know he's up there watching down. Uh, he, he knew how I felt and, uh, he, he knew how much he meant and, and just how proud I was to be his son. That's, that's a, a great, uh, start there to our podcast, TJ. And I'm sure the motivation that you received from him in terms of, you know, the mentorship 
kind of powers and motivates you now as you're returning the favor to so many more people. And that's where we want to kind of jump into the pool, so to speak, uh, in regards to what business coaching and all that looks like. So as you've traveled the country and you've worked with multiple businesses and different home services and everything that you've done in your career, what have you found to be like the fundamental miss that people don't get or they aren't doing right that is preventing them from growing and moving forward? You, you know, like I'll take it to a book. There's a book by Don Miguel Ruiz called The Four Agreements. And uh, one of the agreements is don't make any assumptions. And, and I think that both from the leadership side and from the field side, um, we have a tendency to make a whole lot of assumptions. We, we have a tendency to make assumptions that our team knows what we expect from them. We have a tendency to make assumptions uh, as a team that, you know, leadership makes certain decisions for certain reasons. Uh, we have a tendency to make assumptions about what clients will or won't want to be offered or won't want to purchase. And so, you know, the biggest thing that I come across is, is stop making assumptions. <laughs> um, second to that is there's, there is no silver bullet. You know, one of the things that I struggle with in our space today is if you look at social media and what have you, it's easy to get disillusioned and, and think that there's these magic pills or these easy things that you can do and like, like magically tomorrow, like you're going to have a beanstalk and you're going to climb up it and you're going to find the golden goose with the golden egg and, you know, all those things. And it, and it just doesn't exist. Um, the only way out is through and, and you have to do the hard work. And, you know, what that really comes down to, what that looks like is, in my professional opinion, is you've got to be technically excellent at what you do first. You have to know your role whether you're an electrician, whether you're a plumber, whether you're an HVAC person, whether you're a roofer or a garage door specialist, you have to know your craft. And if you don't know your craft, you, that's where you start. You, you get educated, you learn your craft, and you get really, really good at that. Because once you do, your beliefs will then allow you to follow through in a manner of which the clients are more likely to take the recommendations that you're making. Yeah. And that uh, certainly is a, a fantastic way. And as you've, as you're traveling and you're, you're investigating businesses and getting into their DNAs, so to speak, you know, where are you seeing the most success in terms of learning that craft? You know, are, are you seeing a lot of young guys come up as apprentices, like actually in the business? Are you seeing a success from trade schools? Are you seeing career conversions, you know, 30 something guys that are making the move from another industry into it. What does that look like from your eyes? Uh, all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all, all of that. I think that, you know, if, if the days of us looking for experienced people who know how to do this, who've been doing it for years, these days are over. Um, if, if that's your hiring strategy, like get ready to be lonely. <laughs> because it just, it just it just isn't there, right? Right? Like you, you you have to go find the right people, you know, the right mindset, the right attitude, the aptitude, and and hire that. Hire like I can't teach somebody to be a great person. You you already have to be that. You have to be, you know, like a world class human being. You you have to be that. I can't I can't teach that, but I can one hundred percent teach you how to do any of the trades that we do. And so I'm going to go look for that, that world-class human being, that person that, that you know, uh, 
it was brought up to me. I read it somewhere, and man, I I hate that I can't remember. But I read somewhere that that essentially speaking, there was something called uh, two beers and a puppy, right? And and essentially speaking, here's what it was: is when you're looking at hiring somebody, you got to ask yourself two questions. Number one, is it somebody I'd want to drink a couple beers with? And number two, would I trust them to watch my puppy? And if the answer is no to both those questions, you don't hire them. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's that personality uh, that is contagious. That's, you know, so effective in the home when you're dealing with homeowners in their stress. Yeah. A million percent. And that's, that's the other thing is we get desensitized to it, right? We run average technician runs 800 to a thousand calls a day or a year a day. Yeah. Some of us feel like we do that in a day, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, but in the course of a year, they run 800 to a thousand calls. We get desensitized to the trauma that it is to the homeowner. Um, but the average homeowner only deals with this anywhere from what one to five times in their lifetime where they have a major malfunction in their home or, or a breakdown that, that requires a service professional. And, and so it's a, it's a big deal for them. And, and the more that we can remember that, the more that we can share empathy and, and, and put ourselves, you know, in a position to where we just reassure them that we're here to take care of their challenge. Um, but also reassure them that, you know, they have a choice here is we can just fix what's broke or we can also uncover not only what's broke, but what caused it and then put a layer of prevention on there on top of it. So it doesn't happen again. And that's when you start getting into your more involved solution. So TJ, our podcast uh, does tend to focus around technician specific issues, you know, frontline stuff. And so as you, you know, develop your curriculums and the things that you're teaching to people and training to people, if you had a room full of technicians right now and you were staring at the, you know, a thousand eyeballs looking back at you and you're saying, guys, the thing that makes the most difference for you in the field right now today is having a system and a process that you follow every time so you don't miss something. All right. So let's dig in there. What, what does that look like practically? So practically, here's what it looks like is, is you, you, you know, again, go back to, you know, your craft. But secondly is, you know, you get there, you, you know, you know, the whole knock on the door, step back, that, that side of things. But then let's get into it from a, from a meat and potatoes side of things, which is your tool bag's ready to go, right? You, you have what you need to have as far as your things to do the work. You know how to use them. They don't look like they came from play school, but they also don't look like they're 857 years old. Um, and, and you're able to have them effective. You have a checklist that you're going down and you're completing, not because management thinks and we want to make you do things you don't want to do, but because it's a way of us making sure that, you know, it holds us accountable to doing what we said we would do when we got there. And, and I have the greatest of intentions. I know that about myself, but if I don't have a checklist to keep me honest on certain things, or to keep me, you know, on track, my ADHD will kick in and, and I'll miss things. Like I, I just, I won't be uh, as dependable or as reliable as I am when I have, you know, some form of a checklist. So you've got to have some form of a checklist. You've 
got to make sure that you're getting permission from the homeowner each step of the way. Right. And so, you know, in the beginning of the call, we all have our own scripting that we do as an order, as a company, or at least we should, um, you know, and most companies are going to ask something along the lines of, you know, Hey Nate, you know, as I'm going over everything uh, for you today, if I happen to notice anything out of the ordinary, you know, is that something that you'd want me to bring to your attention or should I just go ahead and keep it to myself? That's a, that's a small way of asking permission to make them aware of anything that isn't the way it should be. You get the yes. The mistake a lot of us make is thinking that that yes right there is also permission for us to build options. And it's not. It's only permission for us to make them aware of what we noticed. You've got to stop back when you're done, either your diagnostic or your maintenance or whatever it is you did. And review those discoveries. You've got to review that checklist with them. And when you review that checklist, then you've got to ask them something along the lines of, you know, hey, Nate, now that I've gone over all this with you, is there anything you're just not interested in or wouldn't like a solution for? What are you going to tell me? Uh, well, no, I mean, I, I would, I would like to learn more about this here. Perfect. So it'd be okay for me to go ahead and create some options for you on how we could get this taken care of? Yeah, I'd like to understand more about what that means. Awesome. And then I'm going to roll through and I'm going to do what I've got to do. Now, look, this is a super cliff notes, right? Because we've got to educate them as we go down the checklist. I happen to really like using the green, yellow, red uh, stoplight scenario on the checklist. So there's three, three dots on each line. Some lines have a, a little spot for a reading. Um, but just in fairness, these checklists, I just launched a new website yesterday um, that Rival Digital did, and they just absolutely crushed it. So I'll give them a little shout out. Um, super proud of them and super grateful. But the checklists that I have my clients use are a complimentary resource that you can download on the website. So if, if you don't have this checklist or if you're curious what the one is that I teach people to use, you could go download it for free. No strings attached. It's not, you know, sound like, Hey, you got to sign up to get the checklist, but, um, it's a, it's a green, yellow, red stoplight scenario because, you know, in a lot of parts of the country, we have language barriers. And, you know, so where I am right now in Boston, a lot of people may not know this, but it's a really heavy Portuguese, uh, population up here. I didn't know that until I started working up here. And so you go and you do ride-alongs and some of these folks, like if you've ever talked to somebody that's Portuguese, it's pretty hard to understand what they're saying. So having the, the stoplight scenario, when you explain it, you show that to them, their eyes immediately go to yellow and red and they point at it and they look at you and, and like, help me. And so you're able to explain to them like why it's yellow, why it's red, why it matters, why it's important, why they should care. And then get, again, permission to show them ways to solve it. And in different cultures, that's where you're also going to uncover. Sometimes people just want to fix what's broken, but there are quite a few cultures that don't want it to happen again. Right. And they, they end up being way more proactive than maybe what we might think they are. So that's where the whole assumption, like don't assume that the person's cheap because you rolled up on like a, you know, single wide trailer. Uh, I tell a story a lot of, back when I was selling that it was, it was a trailer. It was, it was a mobile home and the guy flat out was like, Hey, 
I know what I want. I did a lot of research. I was a mechanical engineer. I retired. Don't be fooled by my home. I have this home because I like simplicity. But as far as my comfort, this is the system that I want and no one else will sell it to me. Will you give me an estimate for this? And I said, as long as it's the right system, sure. So we went through and we did load calculations and we did all the things that we were supposed to do to uncover it. I said, look, I don't think it's a great idea because of the way the house is built, but if it's what you want, I'll sell it to you. He's like, good, give me a price. He gave him a price. The guy went in the back room and came out with a handful of cash. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, when it, but when it comes to the technician side of things, like I, I'm a big fan of a checklist. I'm a big fan of asking permission each step of the way. And then I'm a really big fan of always doing more than you said you would. So, you know, when we're doing tune-ups and things, um, I like spraying wax. Um, I like getting rid of the oxidation on the condensers. Um, I teach a two-foot rule on the indoor unit, which essentially speaking is anything within two feet of the unit in any direction should be spotless. So you get rid of the cobwebs, you get rid of the dust, you get, you know, you make it look like when that homeowner comes down, it's visibly apparent that you did something for them today. Because in a lot of situations, that's the only thing they have to go by. Yeah, and that's so critical because uh, people automatically assess um, or they assign value to what they can physically observe, right? I mean, that, that's what makes, you know, going to the doctor, that's sometimes is difficult to swallow because, you know, they, they do some things, they, they, they look in your eyes, they look in your ears and, you know, whatever. They give you some medicine and then they charge you $150 for a 15-minute visit and you're like, okay. <laughs> and that, right, can be, so, that can be difficult to uh, swallow because you're like what what i mean like i don't know could you have just texted me that over the phone or what's going on so so here's the doctor thing i'm so glad you brought it up because it's an analogy that i'll use a lot in home services and the, the reason that i use it is when you go to the doctor what are some things that they're going to do every single time you're there no matter what uh, well, they're going to check your vitals. Um, I mean, they're, they're going to yep. do the ears and eyes and the, the mouth and uh, check your breathing, uh, you know, feel up your your neck glands or whatever. Uh, where, the, where are you going yep. to get felt up? <laughs> what do you call yes. this? <laughs> I need to see another doctor. Rarely get felt up at my doctor. <laughs> I feel like Joey Tribbiani when he was doing the whole, like, uh, that's how they make pants. That's not how they do pants, Joey. Right? Um, uh, uh, but, yeah, but blood, pre matter, blood pressure, heart rate. Yeah, right. Yeah. They, right. And so I try to, to make that equation to, to our technicians, to our comfort advisors, to our CSRs, um, that we have to do the same thing for home services. Like, I might be there because my knee hurts. They're still checking my blood pressure. They're still taking my heart rate. They're still taking my temperature. They're, like, those things are all still going to happen. But how often do we, do we run into situations as, as technicians or home service professionals, whatever our role might be, where, you know, we go in and, and we ignore all of the vitals. We don't take a temperature split. We, we, we may or may not put gauges on machines, depending on what your philosophy is there. We may not take amperages. We may not check gas pressure incoming and outgoing. We, like, we may not do all these things. And then we have the audacity to get upset 
when the customer gets disappointed with us that we showed them an option that was $400 and we were only there for 12 minutes. Right. Well, guess what? They should get upset. You, you deserve to get yelled at. <laughs> so what, what is it, TJ, that you feel separates, you know, the, the amateurs of the industry from the professionals when it comes to developing the rapport, developing that, that uh, communication level with the client, you know, what are some things that you attribute to a professional versus an amateur? Uh, consistency and discipline, you know, like doing, doing the right things over and over again, even on the days you don't want to, will beat the snot out of performance any day of the week. It, it just, over the course of a 365-day year, somebody doing the right things consistently wins every time. Um, as far as what those right things are, what they look like, it's, again, it's, I'm going to go back to, it's not making any assumptions. It's giving three or more options to every homeowner for solutions to better their situation. You know, it's not the whole, oh, you only, here's, you know, the one thing, right? Take it or leave it. Uncle Joe calls it an ultimatum. Uh, you know, it, it's not doing those things. Uh, the other thing that a professional does is, is appearance. And and I always go take the appearance thing and, you know, you can equate it to the military or anything, but, but I use, because I love baseball so much, I use the grounds crew at a baseball field. Like someone as, as inconsequential as a grounds crew for a major league baseball team, their uniform is on point. Those 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 team members on the ground crew, they all look exactly the same, the way that they're they're outfitted and dressed, and they all look on point all the time, even when it's pouring down rain. How often do we allow our team to look disheveled and we send them out that way in the morning? And why does that matter, TJ? You know, it's it's hot, it's cold. Uh, you know, I, I just had a rough call. I was up in an attic. I was in a crawl space. You know, I just got yelled at yep. by a client. I got flipped off by a school bus driver on the way here. Like, why, Actu- why does it actually matter? happen to one of our techs yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 well, welcome to Pennsylvania, right? Um, it actually <laughs> matters, and, and it happens because Every new client deserves the same experience. The, the client experience shouldn't be based off of where they fell in your day. So the other side of it is our responsibility to give them our best self every time, right? So we always talk about, you know, step number one is to prepare for the call. Well, part of that is a mental reset if it needs to happen, right? So like if I'm, If I I have a rough morning where, you know, I was arguing with my significant other or, you know, the kids weren't doing what they're supposed to do or, you know, you fill in the blank with what could potentially happen in the morning before you leave. It's my personal responsibility as a professional to make that right before I step into the home of the very first person I'm going to serve. It it just is. I don't have to like it, but it is, it is factual that it is my responsibility to make that change mentally. Um, it's my responsibility to make sure that when I show up to that first client, that I look like I'm ready to serve them. And if I get dirty on that call, it's my responsibility to put on a clean uniform so that the next client gets the same version of me that the first client got. 
And, you know, so I'll go back to my operating days. All of my team members were required to have two spare uniforms at their disposal, one behind the bulkhead, uh, behind their seat in, in the vehicle, in their van, and the other one was at the office in our locker room. So that every day, no matter what, you came in with a clean uniform. If you had to get changed once, it was behind the seat in your truck. If you had to get changed the second time, it was at the office. Now, I can probably count on one hand with extra fingers how many times somebody had to use all three uniforms in a day. But when it was needed, the resource was available. And I'd rather need it. I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So, TJ, um, you, you have, you've, you've been in the field, right? I mean, so you know yeah. how hard it is. As an oil tech. Which right. Most, yeah, it's an oil guy. most yeah. people in the country don't even know what that means, but you reek of oil. It is all over you, no matter how careful you are. And you know well, how you hard it is to treat the first customer the same as you do the last customer. Right. So what were what were some of the things that you did to mentally reset? I mean, physically reset? You know, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, number one, with doing oil, you all you have to do is think of uh, Dick Van Dyke's character in Mary Poppins, right? He was a chimney sweep. Um, essentially speaking, that's, that's what you end up looking like as an oil tech if you run into a, a rough call. Um, you're covered in soot from head to toe, and you cannot show up at the next house looking like that. You, you, you can't. Um, people do, but it's a bad idea. Um, so let's touch base on these two things, right? So mental reset is this. I've learned over time what the things are that, that bring me back to center, right? So, uh, number one is music. I love music. Um, and depending on mood, there's going to be different types of music for different moods that, you know, or mood shifts that have to happen. Uh, if someone looks at my iPod, they're going to think that I'm, you know, potentially schizophrenic because they're, <laughs> they're like, how do you like all this different type of music? And I'm like, I just do. You still have um, an iPod, buddy? iPhone, whatever. I still call it an iPod because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> if you look at my Apple I, iTunes, how's that? Your burned um, CD for the disc man? That one? <laughs> hey, yo, don't don't make fun of me because I've made mixtapes in my life. Oh, same, um, yeah, same. I'm with you. <laughs> so, so uh, but from that standpoint, you know, music's a big reset for me. Comedy is a big reset for me. Audiobooks are a good reset for me. All right, and now we're done. Now we're wasting no day. Enough with this <laughs> so music and the, comedy nonsense. Let's go. Um, and then the ultimate reset for me is 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 photos. Is 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 my family. Um, you know, whether it's you know wife, whether it's kids, whether it's dog. Um, if I'm really like struggling, if I'm having like that day. I just take myself back to why I do what I do, which is to provide a life for them that I think they deserve. And it, it, it brings everything back front and center for me. So is it going to be the same for everybody? Heck no. You know, but those are the things that work for me to snap out of being in a crappy mood and get back into, you know, the mood that I need to be in to be ready to serve somebody. Does it mean that we have to be all sunshine and rainbows all the time? No. But it, it it does mean that you have to understand that you're responsible for the one thing and the one thing for us as service professionals is to provide a client experience that someone would want. And so we have, we're, we're responsible to put ourselves in a mental place that, that we can make that happen from a physical appearance standpoint. Look, I'm, my clients will tell you, I'm, I'm kind of a jerk about this and 
from the boots you're wearing to the to the pants. Like if if you think your pants are your personal rag, you and me are not on the same page. Uh, if you don't think you need to wear a belt, I will let you know that you're wrong. But like, but the, but the company are, pays to clean my pants, so <laughs> I understand that the company pays rag. to clean your pants, but but <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that the company cleaning your pants is not to take care of like caulk coming out of you. Like it just it preserves the, the pants; it makes them last longer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> but the but the pants are, I think it changed out all the time, and then that's a new expense for the company that really isn't necessary that's going to prevent the other expenses that we would like for them to have, like better tools, better vehicles, better pay, better bonuses, you know, fun things to do. If, if we're constantly having to replace uniforms because people are too careless to use the other resources we've given them to keep things clean, then, then they're choosing to not have those other things because there's only so much money to go around. I like what you're saying, TJ, and you know the thought that came to mind for me was which which stroke won Tiger Woods the Masters, right? Was it the first one, the tee off on hole one, or was it the putt on hole 18? And it's kind of a trick question because it's both, right? You don't get to make the putt on 18 for the win without having a great tee off on one. And if you relate Correct. that to you know, your calls during the day, I mean, yes, it's physically more challenging to give, uh, not just physically, but emotionally and, and everything else and mentally on the last call of the day as it is the first call of the day. But if you want to be a champion, if you want to be a winner, if you want to have sustained success, you need to find a way to play the long game. It can't just be you crush it on one call and then swing and miss for the next four. You have to find that even balance of giving great performance, great service every single time. And it's why from a coaching standpoint, I look at different KPIs than probably every other coach in the space. Um, conversion rate is my favorite KPI because it tells me whether or not you're getting people to trust you to take your problem, take their problem with you when you go. But options for opportunity and tasks for call are my next two favorite ta- uh, KPIs. What because were those three again, TJ? What were those three KPIs you focus on? Conversion rate. Which counts as? Option. How many calls you ran versus how many you generated revenue more than what you went there for. Okay. Um, uh, options per opportunity. How many things you gave somebody to say yes or no to. Um, and then tasks per call. How many things you actually got trusted with. And the reason that I look at all three of those is because they're all behavioral. They're not results oriented. So right? let's, like let's jump into that. Beha- speak, speak more into what you mean when you say these are behavioral versus results oriented. Okay. So a lot of places look at average ticket, but would you agree with me that a guy could hit a home run on his first call and then strike out the next nine and still have an average ticket within the realm of what we want it to be. I mean, it would have to be a monumental home run, but yeah, we could get there. Okay. So, so what's an average ticket that your team shoots for? Depends which industry, but, uh, plumbing, I think we're shooting on like 
2000 uh, average ticket sorry 2000 a day divided by three or four calls so 6 or 700 right. so let's so let's say 700 average ticket but let's say on call number 1 we sell a water heater and a, and a water conditioning system and we sell 7 grand yeah right i'm with you and then the next the next 9 calls for the week we don't sell anything and so i did 10 calls this week at a seven hundred dollar average ticket. If I'm only looking at average ticket, is that team member a concern? Yeah, absolutely. The that, I mean, that's back to what we're talking about. You know, the, that's why back to the golf analogy: guys who can drive the ball five hundred yards, a, a, a literal country mile, so to speak, but can't do the irons, don't play professional golf. Well, a hundred percent. But if I'm only looking at average ticket, which a lot of companies do. That guy never hits my radar as somebody I'm concerned about. Right. Because I'm only looking at average ticket and he's got a $700 average ticket and I want a $700 average ticket. So he, he never hits my radar to your point where you're coming from is being an actual leader and looking at more things. But how many people in our space haven't been taught to do that? And so they only do what they've been shown, which is here's the metric that we go by. As long as somebody's over $700 for average ticket, leave them alone. Right. So, so for that specific scenario, that guy isn't ever even going to get looked at because he's running a $700 average ticket. Well, forget the fact that he's got a 10% conversion rate, right? The, the 10% conversion rate is a huge challenge. That means 90% of the people that you saw you leave, they still have the same problem that they had when you got there. That's a problem. That's not okay with me. Right. We talk all the time about selling people things they don't need and how unethical it is. I think the most unethical thing that we can do in our space is take someone's time from them and leave them with the same problem they had when we got there. I, I think that's by far the most unethical thing we can do in our, in our space. Yeah. Sec second would be putting those blinders on and walking through pretending the rest of the system doesn't exist and fixing the one thing you came for. Correct. And then walking Correct. out patting yourself on the back, like much bigger in HVAC than any other industries. But with that, uh, I've never sold a client anything in my life and would never take a sales course. And like they're they're like patting themselves on the back. Meanwhile, their client their clients calling another company two weeks later for a related issue because you didn't bother to look at anything but what you came for. Yeah, a million percent. Right. So. But if I, if, I, if I monitor conversion rate, I monitor options for opportunity, and I monitor tasks per call, I'm able to uncover, number one, how often do people allow me to take their problem away? How good am I at offering them solution-based options to be able to choose something that makes sense for them? And then how often are they choosing a more enhanced option than just fixing what's broke as a bandaid, right? So options for opportunity is showing, am I good at creating solution-based options and am I doing it consistently? Tasks per call says, do I just fix what's broken or do I also take the cause away and then do I add prevention, right? So ideally, a technician that's gonna average three, three and a half or more tasks per call you're probably not going to have a whole lot of issues with that guy. Like it, it, it's just the reality of it. And then the conversion rate, 
magically falls in. Like, it's really hard to find somebody that averages three or more options per opportunity, three or more tests per call, and then doesn't have a good conversion rate. It's, it almost never happens. So TJ, again, our, our podcast has a lot of technicians listening, and I'm sure they're tracking with what you're saying here. But, you know, we, we, we hear from some of those guys saying, like, I, I don't know, man. You know, TJ, I, I'm trying. Like, I present on every single call. I show them, like, all the options, and nobody ever goes with it. What am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. Not involving the client and getting those options created. It, it's that revisit step, right? It's, it's going from where you complete your checklist to coming back to the client and sharing with them what it is that you came across, what it is that you noticed, and then making sure that A, they understand it, and B, they're inspired to want to do something about it before you build the option. If you don't have permission to give them the solution, it shouldn't show up on your option sheet. Like how many times do we hear, you guys are just trying to sell me something? How many times did the, did the customer go, man, gosh, that's a lot. I, was, I wasn't expecting any of this today. I just thought you were here for a tune-up. Like, how many times do we hear this? And the reason that we hear it is because we didn't bring them along with us on, on the, and I'm not talking about making them follow you around the house, right? I have my own feelings about that with today's world. In a perfect world, it'd be great if they'd follow us around and, 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 and see what we're doing. The average consumer today does not have time for that and does not want to deal with it. So pictures and videos become critically important. But bringing them along with us through the process is is like a metaphor of, I got permission in the beginning to make you aware of anything that's not as it could or should be. Once I go and I uncover what those things are, I got to come back and I got to inform you on them. And I've got to get from you which of those things you want me to solve, which things you want me to take away for you today, and which ones are you okay with keeping, right? I think the way that Johnny Park does uh, indoor air quality is, is probably the best way of anybody in the entire country where he shows them the, the pie chart of pollution. And he just says, hey, which of these things do you want me to remove from your home and which ones do you want to keep? What does every homeowner tell you when you ask that question? Uh, I would like to not keep any of them. Yeah. I get <laughs> all this stuff out of my house. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So in order for me to create a solution for you, that'll take care of that. Yes, it is. Well, now when I come back with solutions, the customer cannot tell me, a, I'm just trying to sell them stuff or B, they weren't expecting it. So TJ, I think, I think this is really good stuff. And I want to dig in here even deeper and say like, you know, we're, we're going to hear feedback from guys saying like, well, you know, I, 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 I thought I am doing that or, or maybe I'm not They're They're losing it when they're trying to figure out, I mean, you said at the top of the episode, don't make assumptions. That's one of the biggest things mm-hmm. that you see as a failure point. So how yeah. do you, how do you walk a, a newer tech or maybe just somebody who is a little uh, younger in their selling career, so to speak, how do you help them understand to gain somebody's interest, to, sorry, to gauge somebody's interest on a product or service without feeling like they're pushing from the get-go or turning off the client at the beginning of that conversation to even test the waters? So 
this is something that, that shame on me for missing it because it's how I start a lot of on sites and a lot of trainings is it all comes down to what's your motivation for being there. Are, are you there to sell people things or are you there to serve and solve problems? If your motivation is, <laughs> unfortunately, the answer is no. The, the answer truly is no. Your primary motivation cannot be both. Has to be one or the other. Yeah, you, because you can't have the, two primary uh, things. It's either you, you, you can't right. It's it's the whole two masters thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, secondary what has to happen is secondary. Some, somebody <laughs> somebody has to come along and love you enough to share with you that if your primary motivation is to sell people and pass your paycheck, you're kind of an asshole. Like you just are if you understand that by serving other people at a high level and helping them live a, a better life with a more complete system or that the result of that is sales and the result of that is that you get to live a better lifestyle. That's a different story. And it sounds like semantics, but I promise you it is not. And, and the easiest way to, to give this as an example is, I want everybody right now to think about the person that's at the family function that no one wants to talk to because they're always trying to sell them something, right? We all have that person in the family. It's like the, the, the new get rich quick scheme is, you know, it could be Amway, it could be Cutco, it could be whatever it is, but there's, there's always that person, right? I think of uh, Roman in the great outdoors, uncle Roman, right? Is, is we all have an uncle Roman in our family whose primary motivation is to sell. Well, who really wants to, to buy anything from that guy versus someone whose primary motivation is to leave you better than they found you. We just happen to know that because of what we do for a living, the way that that gets measured and gauged is what did you choose to buy from me? The scorecard. Yeah. My mentor had uh, Lance Fernandez had, like everywhere in the in the building, this was at Ken Goodrich's shop in Las Vegas. Everywhere in the building was posters or, or writing, in in writing like on whiteboards that Zig Ziglar quote that you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough enough people get what they want. <clears throat> and then early on, I just thought of that quote like, yeah, if I just sell enough, I'll have money and have everything I want. And I don't know if I really dissected it or or just with maturity came the realization that as you help people you 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 start realizing that that is its own reward and you get you get so fulfilled by um the appreciation you receive from actually genuinely helping someone and you know we can look at our customer reviews and and do often whenever somebody's in a slump you know, they, we, we, everyone always knows when someone's really in a slump, they need a W. You know, if, if, you're, if you haven't hit the ball in so many innings or so many games, you need, like, a home run. You just need to get on base. You need a, you need a hit to get you out of this slump. And oftentimes what I'll train is to, to use your old reviews to get you out of the slump, like see where you've actually helped people. And they've written, you know, paragraphs about how glad they were to meet you and forget about selling something, but get back in the mindset where you need to go help somebody today. 
and it really it flipped that quote on its head for me when I realized that that part was its own reward and you know I was I was talking to a group of guys I train on Monday mornings um, about Coral Whale who's a uh, high, high, I'm sure you know Coral, high-performing HVAC uh, maintenance tech, and she was on two weeks ago. And she said, uh, you know, the, the money's secondary. And as I, I, I just quoted her saying that while I was talking to these guys, and I saw the look on their face. You know, these are techs who are kind of newer to what we do. And the look on a couple of their faces was like, okay, yeah, sure it is. And, I'm, and I smiled because I'm like, I re- I remember, <laughs> you know, not having money and not making much money. And I would hear people say that and I would go, shut up. It's secondary. Sure it is. But, you know, you're on like that bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs where security, you know, is not met. You're making so little in the beginning that you can't really see past that. Um, I just want to I just want to not worry about paying my rent. I just want to not live paycheck to paycheck. But you don't you know, you get past that point and you realize pretty quickly that now that money really is secondary. And the example I used for those guys was to help them understand. I, you know, when I got, when I moved out of a truck, I took a little bit of a pay cut initially to go into management and then figured it out pretty fast and, and started making more and more every year. But once I got to the point where the bills were paid and I was starting to put money in savings and, um, you know, every paycheck was great. Every year making a little bit more was great. But I got a, I got tagged in a Facebook post. I don't know what it was, like 2015 or 2016, where a guy, Jason, um, created a post and he tagged me in it. And he said, I just, it's a picture of his kids opening Christmas presents. And he said, I just want to thank Brian Burton. This is the first year I don't have to choose between paying bills and spoiling my kids on Christmas morning. And I looked at the guys and I said, which one do you think felt better? The year end yeah. bonus or that, or that Facebook tag, which one would feel better to you? And of course it was a unanimous head nod, like having someone, you know, and I'll use the same, I'll get stopped with my wife in grocery stores and stuff. And people will introduce me to their spouses and say like, this is one of the guys who helped make it happen. You know, like with our, financial freedom or or this new skill we learned um and there's no comparison to a paycheck like you think you think she was squeezing my hand hard uh before that you should see her body language towards me now you know after that conversation it's not even close like the the actual genuine helping of people pays so much more than your bills and does so much more for you than putting padding your savings accounts not even close it's it, it yeah it, amen <laughs> feel like we just went to church because it's so true um <laughs> but 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 that is it and people think it's cliche when you say things like that right when but at the end of the day like i'll be honest if money was my primary motivator i'd go back to operating or i'd go back to being you know a comfort advisor Cause I would make way more money doing those things than I'll ever make being a coach. And it, it, it's just the reality. And the hours would be way better too. I wouldn't be away from home, you know, 25, 30, 35 weeks a year. Um, all those things would be way more in line. But at the end of the day, like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fill the cup. 
And the other side of it too, for me is, is this, like I had mentors coming up through, right? I had people that loved me enough to tell me the truth I didn't want to hear and stay on me with the truth I didn't want to hear enough so that it actually had time to permeate my thick skull. And, you know, the, the, the first service manager I had, Dick Whalen, was, was one of those guys. The older technician, Glenn Sager, was one of those guys. Uh, one of the leaders that I worked under, Joe Haney, was one of those guys. Uh, and then you even go to uh, Mark Atherstone, who was, you know, used to be the, the trainer for airtime, the national trainer for airtime. Now he's the, the corporate trainer for the wrench group. Um, you can look at Weldon Long, you know, and, and things that he had done for, for me as far as mindset goes and making me believe that I was capable of more. Like, if I get to be any of that to just one person, game on. Like, that, like that's going to keep me rolling. And so to your point, like when people reach out and say, Hey, thanks for this. You know, I wouldn't have gotten here without this. There's a technician up here, up this way, actually with a different organization with a key in plumbing. Um, there's a technician up here, Phil O'Reilly. And, you know, Phil was able to buy his wife uh, a new Toyota Highlander this year. And when he bought that, I got, you know, tagged along with a bunch of other people, right? It's not like, that's the other thing is, is as a trainer, you got to be really careful not to take credit for people's success. All you do is impart perspective and knowledge. They actually have to do something with it. And if you're going to take credit for their success, you better take credit for the people that, that fail. Yeah. I was going to say that <clears throat> when I, when guys try to do that, they, they'll say like, he's the guy who did it for me. You're, you're, ha- you're like, no, 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 you did that. And they don't, they don't want to accept it. But as soon as you say, how many guys on the team were on the team that you started with, like the day you got here, how many people were here in that same team, whichever you know brand you know we're, we're a tri brand, so uh, that are no longer here anymore or who haven't progressed at all with the exact same training you had. It ain't it ain't us. Correct, and that's. As a trainer, I think it's one of the things that keeps you grounded and keeps you, you know, from becoming like this egomaniacal jerk is if I'm going to take credit for the few that are successful, I better take credit for the masses that aren't because I'm giving the same message to all of them. And so I just, I'm super, super careful not to ever take credit for anybody's successes, but to simply thank them for letting me be a part of the journey they're choosing to travel. And that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, if they want to give credit, by all means, I'm grateful and I'll express my gratitude for the way they're viewing it. But, you know, I know full well without them making the decision to be disciplined and to do the right things consistently that, that it doesn't happen. So, you know, it, it, you can have all these resources, right? But the stuff doesn't magically just happen on its own. Like you could take it and do something with it and you can take it and do something with it consistently over a period of time. It can't be like, well, I tried it for a week and it didn't work. Well, no kidding. Cause you didn't even give enough time to where you were able to get it to where it was second nature so that your personality could show back up 
you know, and that's one of the other expect- things about setting expectations with training is the results are going to go down before they go up if somebody is truly applying what they're learning. Because initially they're going to go and they're going to try and do it and they're going to fall on their face. And they're going to be so focused on what they're doing and when they're doing it and how they're doing it that their personality is going to go away. And that's what makes each of us so valuable and so special is how we communicate with people. So unless you stick with it long enough to be able to get it that your mental energy isn't all being used on what should I say when and how, but it now becomes second nature so that your personality can come back out and your empathy can come back out and your ability to grow a relationship because you notice something in the home that ties into you or whatever it may be, your results aren't ever going to be what you would like them to be because you didn't ever give it enough time. You know, uh, often equated to like, thank goodness that we all learn how to ride bikes as children. Cause if we learned how to do it as adults, no one would ever ride a bike. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. I think that is one of the dangers. Um, and it, it's a danger on both ends of our career. You know, as, as we start a career, we have to be willing to be coached and, you know, sometimes we're going to push against the ideas and be like, ah, I don't believe in that or I don't want to do that. Um, but the same danger exists at the later on in our career standpoint too. It's just more subtle because we, we get really good at nodding our head and saying, yeah, that, oh man, that's fantastic. Great idea. Wonderful. Amazing concepts. Yeah. And then we just go about our business like nothing ever changed. It's dangerous because we can lull ourselves, especially for those of you guys who've been in the field for five, six, seven years plus, and you feel like you have your process and you feel like you know what you're doing and you've seen your way around a, a number of different customer situations and you've probably had some success here and there. To get into that place of, of satisfaction and contentment is, is scary because you're basically saying like, all right, you know, here I am for the next 15, 20, 25 years. And to basically resist the idea of changing something up or getting uncomfortable or, or trying something new, I think that's, that's a terrible place to be because we're basically surrendering to the as is forever. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, thanks. And I mean, I think that, I think that's one of the advantages that I do get as a trainer is, you know, I, I travel all over the U.S., Canada. I'll be in Australia for three weeks later this year. Um, I get I get to learn from all all the people that I'm with. So my game is constantly being elevated by the people that I'm serving, and they're constantly giving me like a little tidbit here, a little golden nugget over there, a little little something here. We we uncover this, and I'm like, oh man, you know, I never thought about it that way. And so I get that gift, but so many of us, like we live in our own little pocket and, and we think like, this is just how it is. And it's, it's not <laughs> like there's, there's more, there's, there's, a, there's a ton more opportunity. And, and the minute that you feel like you've arrived, it's probably time to either number one, smack yourself or number two, go find something else to do. Yeah. Um, because there, there is no arrival, right? Like Simon Sinek in, in Infinite Game, um, you know, that book, like, did a lot to heal me as a, as a person with some of the things that I struggled with, right? Because technically in my career, when I was just a technician, like, I, I was one of the guys that, that changed jobs every three to five years. 
or more frequent, right? I, I was one of those guys. And I thought, man, am I, am I just a discontented spirit? Like, am I just this guy that is never happy with anything? And then reading through the infinite game, I just realized I was playing by a different set of rules. And, you know, I understood that there was no, there is no arrival. There is no destination in personal growth and development and business. And like in any of these things, there's no like, it, you can't be like Tom Cruise and far away and like jam a stake in the ground and go, this land is mine. Right. Like it, it, it doesn't happen with what we do. There's, it's, it's the whole philosophy of Kaizen and constant improvement and, you know, always wanting to learn more, do more, be more. But at the end of the day, you can learn more. You can, you can do this, you can do that. But if you don't apply this stuff consistently, well, how are you even learning any of it? I want to, I just want to interject here. Nate, three movies he's mentioned. Have you seen any of them? Mary Poppins. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> not the great outdoors, not far and away. No. All right. No. <laughs> We're going to have to update your movie list, TJ, because uh, we got a lot of young <laughs> listeners. And, uh, far and away. Great movie. Forgot all about that movie. These these fellows need to watch my movies because these are good movies, man. Like, yeah, Tom Cruise was was a boxer, but he was one of those old school. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I can't think of it. Rocky Marciano type boxers, you know, where yep. they, they didn't do a whole lot of uh, moving around. They just took the punches, you know. But it was a great movie. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So one one thing I want to uh, circle back to or, or touch on before we get too far off is the you know, holding people accountable. We have visitors here uh, pretty much every Wednesday from different organizations sit in on our, on my uh, presentation training on Wednesday morning and then uh, go through like a scheduled tour. And one thing that I hear a lot of shock about is, is that we're not disciplinary. And I mean at all with, with our KPIs. It's a, it's, it's mind blowing to a lot of people who come in here and we have some nationally recognized high producers in all three, all three divisions. You know, we're, we're a plumbing HVAC and electrical and mm-hmm. we're, we are, so I'm, I'm nonstop talking to owners and managers and trainers about the fact that in nine years of management, I have yet to, and you know, I say that knowing that all three teams listen to this, show hopefully (laughs) not all the techs of all three teams but at least one tech from all three of our teams of our 130 employees here (laughs) listen to uh this show i have never let someone go because they did not perform well enough i've never fired someone over a ticket average i've never fired someone over a low conversion rate and i've never fired someone over a lack of revenue production <clears throat> and that sounds insane. And people have been moved around in positions, no doubt about that. But I, I've always felt like, and it has, all, you know, typically always rang true that if we hired you, you you have it in you to do it. If you're not doing it, um, you're only responsible for maximum of fifty percent of it. The other half of it, at least half of it, has to fall on us for a failure to either train you or a failure to train you enough 
or a failure to train you properly to your personality type. And I see, you know, I see and hear a lot about people letting people go or just a rant. You know, you see these rants on social media all the time. And I typically I don't engage because I don't know the person well enough and I don't want to come off like nothing bothers me more than these people who get in these back and forth arguments on social media for the world to see, but you can't hear or see or touch each other. So it's like, what kind of argument is this, you know? Um, and I, and I just, I don't want to engage in it. So I, I want to have the conversation, but I, I don't want to offend the, per, like, I don't want to make the person seem like I'm trying to be know-it-all or I'm better than you or something. If I don't know them, typically if I know people, they understand where I'm coming from, that, that I'm not trying to be like that. So our, our mantra here, our motto has always been probably 51% or more of the fault of a person not producing falls on us. So you see the people ranting and raving about my texts are just lazy. They don't want to put the work in. They won't ask the questions. They won't. Um, I'm, and I, man, I want to say it so badly. It's probably, probably your lack of training probably your inefficiency at training and you know you know how you can know now believe me there are those texts out there more hvac than anything but all all three ev everyone has them like you know i'm sure we could call tommy right now and find out that th these guys exist rampantly in the garage door arena i refuse to sell anything i refuse to take courses in communication and sales i'm not a salesman I will fix what you called me out for and put my my blinders on and walk back out to my truck. Like, that's me. And they take great pride in this utter failure of customer service. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. Those guys exist, and you, you won't get through to them. Don't hire them. That will come out in the hiring process. Believe me, they can't wait to puke that all over your conference room table. So don't hire that person. But if it's not that person and you hired them, just ask them if they want to make more money. Yes. Would you like to learn how to, to be more productive in your truck? Yes. You're offering people things. Do they need those things? Would they benefit from them? Yes. Would you like to learn how to get them to say yes more to the things you're already offering them? If the answer is yes, it's probably not like 70% their fault they're not getting it. They don't connect with your training. So, you know, I got horrible grades. I have a pretty high IQ. I got horrible grades and thought I was an idiot for most of my childhood. Was the pretty high IQ? Was that measured upside down? Or? I'm measuring it as, as the people in this room right now. Oh, okay. Just for two hours, so. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I didn't find this out until so much later that I actually was not, you know, completely void of intelligence. I just realized that you stick me in a classroom with no interaction whatsoever, none, zero, not even like. Most of the time in Detroit public school, I, I went to, there wasn't even like raise your hand if. There was just zero interaction. And I don't learn anything. I mean, I'm, I struggle to stay awake. So it's nine hours of sleep last night and I'm falling asleep 10 minutes into the first class. But get me anywhere else in life and I'm, I'm just going all day until my head hits a pillow. Um, and I realized that Detroit public school, your training, in uh, you know, in the eighties, sucked. Your training sucked. Yeah. Now, I so I'm not just giving this meal to everybody else to eat, right? I say this, Nate, in our leadership meetings. If we're missing people, 
we're missing people. If people aren't getting trained properly or people are failing at, at we want what we want them to do and they are the right people because they answer the questions properly, it's it lies on us. We're not doing enough training. So I don't want it I don't want it to seem like TJ's and I know better because you and I spent some time together at uh, vertical track uh, last year. Yeah. <clears throat> I know better than to think that TJ's saying you need KPIs so that you can fire someone when they're not performing. Right. But I just want to pinpoint that. No, those are the vitals to know where you got to pay attention and, and, and where, you know, you're missing. Like if I don't take your blood pressure, I have no way of knowing whether or not you got clogged arteries, um, you know, things of that nature. But to your point, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in our space today is that word accountability, right? Because accountability comes last, not first. And it's also not what we think it is, right? Accountability isn't like, well, I've shown you what to do and you're not doing it, so I'm going to hold you accountable, right? I hear that all, you got to hold them accountable. You got to hold them accountable. Okay, well, if you really want to learn, like, accountability, like, go read Drive by Daniel Pink or go watch any of Daniel Pink's TED Talks and you'll really uncover what accountability is supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like. And what accountability should be from a leadership standpoint is that the team can count on us to make them aware of areas that they could get better, but that we hold ourselves accountable to make sure that we're being the leader that they need to get them where they want to go. Right. Tommy, uh, Mello, since you brought him up is probably one of my favorite leaders in our space simply because of one thing that he says, which is, I know I have to make the goals of A1 big enough so that they fit the goals of all of our employees inside. So good. So good. Shout out my man, Tommy. Well, TJ, I, I know that there's probably some people out there in the listening audience who are tracking with you in this episode and they're saying, all right, you know, Maybe I'm willing to give it another shot. You know, maybe I tried some of this back in the past and it didn't work out or I had a bad experience or maybe I just got lazy or maybe I just forgot about it. And I'm like, all right, you know, now it's time to maybe give it a go. If you were speaking to those people and saying, hey, all right, here's the best way to foray yourself back into either getting a process or, or getting into sales or, or trying something new like What's what's best thing? Is this a rip the bandaid off and jump in, you know, full Monty type scenario? Or is there like a, hey, do this first, do this second type of process that we can ease our way into it? What What's what's that look like from your perspective? Uh, so I don't think there's any shortage of ways that you can do it. And I think whether you rip the bandaid off or whether you dip your toes in totally depends on how you're wired as a person. Like I can tell you, if you throw me in the deep end of the pool, I'm going to swim, but when I get out, I'm going to beat the crap out of you for throwing me in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> right, yeah. So that doesn't work well with me. Um, but what I will tell you is this. Start thinking about what you really want from yourself that you don't have. And I don't mean like materially. I just mean in general. It could be, I want to be able to be home more. It could be, you know, I want to be able to take a nice vacation I, I want a different car. I, 
I want to be better technically. I want to like, and then recognize the fact that there's only one human being on earth capable of giving you any of it. And that's yourself. And then you have to ask yourself, what am I not doing right now that I should be that will get me closer to having what it is I just said I want? And then create a roadmap, right? Like I'll use a super simple, I'm going to super simplify it because I believe like it just makes everything better for everybody if you take it to the extreme. Let's just say that I want a different vehicle. And the different vehicle is going to cost me $500 a month. And I need to find a way to make an additional $500 a month. And so part of the way I get paid is I get, you know, 5% of my sales as compensation. I now know how much more a month I need to sell in order to get that $500 a month. So I have to break that down to not just the month, but the day. And then I average three calls a day. It's this much per call that I have to do above and beyond what I'm doing today in order to get what it is that I want from myself. Then I look at it and I go, okay, what are the behaviors that I need to change from what I'm doing right now today in order to have this? Because right now I don't. And then go do it. Like it's, it, it, at the end of the day, none of what we do is rocket science. It's more about having the discipline and the willingness to be more committed to winning than you are to being right. Speaking of Simon Sinek, uh, it sounds like you're talking about understanding the why, right? We, we want to know what is the motivation behind what we want. Yeah, and then how do I get it, right? Creating that roadmap. I think a lot of us do a great job of covering the why. I think very few people do a great job at creating the roadmap, connecting the here's where I'm at right now and here's where I want to be. How do I get there? Well, TJ, as we bring things in for a landing here, you certainly have provided some nice mile markers on a roadmap yourself in terms of how we can get better. If people are looking at uh, or listening to this and they're looking at you saying, you know, hey, is, is there like a formal way of doing this? What does Flywheel Coaching Group have to offer? Yeah, so... I mean, we are a, a true coaching and training organization, so we are not a best practices group. Um, we do not hand out a bunch of forms and documents and things and say, all right, go do it. Um, we, we come alongside of our, our clients. Uh, we get to understand their business. You know, we take them through what we call our foundational five from a business standpoint, from a business coaching standpoint, which is, you know, setting pricing, getting your financials set up correctly, core values, mission statement, organizational chart. Um, and, and we make sure those things get done first because every other thing that we're going to do or work on together is going to point back to one of those five. Right? We can teach anybody how to sell more. If you're selling at the wrong price, all we're going to do is hurt you. And I'm more committed, again, to helping you win than I am to being right. I, I Early in my career, I made the mistake of helping people sell more and they weren't priced right, and I caused them pain that I won't ever cause someone again. So we, we do those things first. Um, and then it's just a matter of engagement, right? The different levels and things that we have, it's, it's all about the engagement. Is How much time do you want virtually, and how much time do you want on site through the course of the year, and that's how the packages are tiered. Um, and then we have classroom training that is uh, not uh, contingent upon being a flywheel member. 
If you're looking for technician training, CSR training, sales training, leadership training, or a class I'm really excited about that we're having this fall or this uh, spring is bring your own challenge, right? We all have challenges in our business that we know are like paramount things right, that we have to overcome. And so we're actually going to do a workshop class where it's bring your three to five top challenges. And then in a workshop mastermind environment, we're going to make sure that over the course of three days, we send you out of there with, you know, the ability to, to knock those out and make them not an issue anymore. That sounds fantastic. And, and for those listening, TJ, are, is this primarily geared towards owners or can technicians and CSRs have a shot at this as well? Uh, so it's, it's, it is primarily geared towards owners as far as the, the coaching itself. However, um, I welcome the CSRs. I welcome the technicians. If, if you have questions or things that, you know, come up that you want to, you know, discuss or get answers to or whatever. I mean, I'm pretty easily available either through Facebook messenger or LinkedIn or Instagram or I mean, text, email, whatever. Um, I don't really turn anybody away because the fact of the matter is like, we're all humans doing this thing called life together. <laughs> and I feel like I kind of owe it the help where I can. Um, within reason, you know, some people can get abusive of that. Um, but at the end of the day, like the, the, the owners are going to be the ones that are going to, uh, typically invest in, in the coaching. I mean, if a technician wants to, I'm certainly not going to turn them away, but that hasn't happened yet. So that would be something I did. I wouldn't necessarily expect. And you had mentioned uh, earlier in the show that you have some resources available, including that uh, stoplight checklist. What exactly is your uh, company, your your business website? Yep, it's uh, www.flywheel, C as in Charles, G as in George, dot com. Um, and you just go and click on resources. I think there's either five or six free resources that you can go in. You can download. Um, you can check them out. I think there's a CSR script in there. Um, I think there's a dispatch closeout checklist. I mean, there's ultimately what it is, is what are the things that I feel like people really do need that, that I come across regularly that they maybe don't have. And then, you know, are you who you say you are, make it available for free. Um, and so that's what we've done. Very nice. TJ, as we wrap up things with you today, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's definitely an increase of, young participants coming into the trades there's a lot of i mean even at our company here we have hired numbers and numbers of 20 somethings coming out of school or just looking for an opportunity and they may be mechanically inclined if you were speaking to you know that generation and and the up and coming so to speak people you know what would be your advice or your encouragement to them as things that they should focus on earlier in their career to have success for the long run hundred percent is be consistent. Don't, don't, don't feel like you've got to do it all today or tomorrow. Do the percentage of it a hundred percent that you can do and then slowly add to it. Sound advice from our man, TJ Hartnett. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for dropping uh, quite a few great quotes and, and ideas and concepts that can be applied directly into business. Whether you're starting out as a young gun in the industry whether you've been in there for a while and you're just looking for something more or something new. Thanks for coming on, TJ. We look forward to part two of this, which will be in person here in Pennsylvania. Fantastic. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you having me. 
Hey, that's a wrap for this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed your time with TJ. It was good to hear from him and so many of the great things that he's doing over there at Flywheel Coaching Group. Uh, I know that he has a lot to offer in terms of uh, business and really process ideas for what you're doing in the in-home services industry. And as you could hear from the podcast today, he's lived it. He's been on all different sides of the equation from operator to technician to trainer. And he has the ability now to combine all that into one uh, solid option for you to learn and gain information from. As he mentioned in the show there, check out his website and the resources that he has to offer. A lot of great stuff there. And if you're interested in something more, of course, he has options for what that could look like on a monthly basis. We want to wrap up our show now with our typical weekly challenge, which is to make sure that you are choosing to make yourself better. As TJ said in that episode, you know, that really comes down to you. There's only one person that can get you that better car, that better family experience, that better house, that better whatever it is that you're shooting for. And that is you. And that starts by choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day. 